Welcome to the fourth installment of our series on emotions and what to do with them. All the feels. The premise here is is quite simple. God has designed us to feel just as he feels, and he has given us a manual for the proper understanding, the proper use of emotions. When you have the feels, here's how to handle them. Here's the map. Here's the the blueprint. That template is, of course, found in the pages of Scripture. So if you have a Bible or Bible app at the ready, and you have not already done so, I invite you to open it up and meet me in a book called 2 Samuel. 2 Samuel, that is located in the first half of the Bible, what we call the Old Testament. Now, the first feel that we unpacked was anger. Yeah, somebody felt that. We, we followed that up with a fresh take on fear. Today, we're exploring sadness. Sadness. In particular, I want to turn our attention, set our sights on the sort of sadness, the sort of sorrow, the sort of grief that we experience when we feel loss. When we feel loss. Now, we typically think of grief in terms of death. We think of it in terms of of losing a person. But the truth is, this can land in other places. It could be the loss of something else, a a relationship, a job, a, a dream or a hope that is dear to us, a deeply held belief, a sense of identity. We can feel loss in those places too. Whatever it may be, there's a connection. There's an attachment of some sort that is severed and that leaves us feeling adrift. Right? There's, a, there's a space in our lives that once was occupied and is now vacant, and we feel that emptiness in a profound way. Part of us, it would seem, is missing. Now, I want to preface this a bit, that as with other emotions, sadness is complex. This is complex. I don't claim to be an expert at this. I don't think we can reduce it to a formula, nor can one conversation come anywhere close to exploring all that there is to explore. But I want to lay out some God-given insights and some helpful how-tos for us to navigate through seasons of loss in a way that's going to lead us toward healing. Okay, that's, that's our aim for Today, part of the beauty, part of the value of Scripture is that it's relatable. This book is incredibly relatable. It's true to life. It it shows us, it tells us stories of people who have been through these things before. People of faith who walked through tragedy, who walked through trial, and God met them in those places and saw them through. So through that, we can take heart, we can find courage knowing that our circumstances may be different, but God is the same. It's the same God. Okay, with that set up, we once again return to the story of David. 2 Samuel chapter 1. 
It says this, after the death of Saul, David returned from striking down the Amalekites and stayed in Ziklag two days. On the third day, a man arrived from Saul's camp with his clothes torn and dust on his head. He's grieving. He is mourning. When he came to David, he fell to the ground to pay him honor. Where have you come from? David asked him. He answered, I have escaped from the Israelite camp. What happened? David asked. Tell me. The men fled from battle, he replied. Many of them fell and died, and Saul and his son Jonathan are dead. Jump down to verse 11. Then David and all the men with him took hold of their clothes and tore them. They mourned and wept and fasted till evening for Saul and his son Jonathan and for the army of the Lord and for the nation of Israel because they had fallen by the sword. Verse 18. David took up this lament concerning Saul and his son Jonathan, and he ordered that the people of Judah be taught this lament of the bow. It is written in the book of Jasher. Grief. I decided to call this one good grief. I hope you'll see why as we go through it. David learns that Saul, the the first king of Israel, and his son Jonathan, the prince of Israel, have been killed in action. These are two individuals that influenced and impacted David's life significantly. Think about the people in your life who have had a profound impact on you. David just lost two of those people. It was Saul who brought him into the royal court, who gave him a command in the army. From there, David rose through the ranks and gained prominence. He gained a reputation as a leader of men that would set him up to become king. Now, ironically, it it is that prominence, that renown, that then turns Saul against him. Saul became increasingly jealous and paranoid the more popular David became. And on multiple occasions, he tried to murder him. He tried to get rid of him. Now, I want to put a footnote here, just an aside, that I think is worth mentioning. I think this has a lot to do with the fact that Saul chose to turn away from God, while David chose to pursue God. These are two men that are headed in diametrically opposed directions. And and I would say this to you, that sometimes the friction you feel in your relationships with other people is fundamentally an issue of faith. Sometimes at the root of all that conflict, if if you peel it back, there's a case much like this where someone is pursuing God and someone is walking away from God. And we need to recognize that for what it is. Now, Jonathan, Jonathan's just the opposite. He and David were the best of friends. They loved each other like brothers. They pledged their unwavering loyalty to one another. And much to Saul's anger, Jonathan helped David escape, knowing all the while that David would someday be king instead of himself. Jonathan told him that. I know know that you're going to be the king. It's not going to be me. Even though my father's the king, you're going to be King David, and I support you. That is a very rare kind of friendship, and if you find it, hold on to that. Cultivate that kind of friendship. 
So this is who David mourns, but I think how he mourns is instructive for us. Let's start with an observation. Grief can be complicated. Tell me something I don't know, Pastor Q. Grief can be complicated. It's not always a simple or straightforward emotion. David's grief for Jonathan is understandable. This is his best friend. This is his wingman. We we understand grieving for that. But David also grieves for Saul. Now, where is David when he hears this news? He's, He's living in Philistine territory where he is a refugee. Why? Because he's hunted by Saul. Is is this wild to anyone else that David is mourning for a man who tried to murder him? It's complicated. But I have to wonder, I have to ask the question, if if this is all that David feels, is, is there more to this? Is there a sense of relief now that now that Saul is dead and, and David doesn't have to constantly watch his back? Like, ding dong, Saul's dead. Not that he's happy about it, but, but, but he can finally breathe. He can finally stop running. Is there a sense of vindication? It's interesting that more than once David had the opportunity to kill Saul, but he refused. I'm not going to stoop to his level. You're trying to wrong me, but but I'm not going to reciprocate that. I'm not going to wrong you in return. In fact, in in one such occasion, one of David's men was urging him to take the shot. Just, just, Just do it, David. Just be done. You got Saul in your crosshairs. Just end this. And David essentially says, let God handle it. I'm not going to do that. I'm going to let God handle this. Saul's time will come. Either God will take him out or he'll fall in battle. That played out. Saul's violence comes down on his own head. He he reaps what he sows. And David, who was in the right, is still standing. He's vindicated. Is there regret? Might, Might David be wishing that This could have been different, that their relationship could have been better, that they could have been allies instead of enemies. These are questions that are all speculative because they're not answered in the scriptures. But I ask them to make this point. It's okay for you to feel conflicted. It's okay if you have mixed emotions. It's okay if it doesn't always make sense to you. It's okay if your dashboard is lighting up all over the place. Maybe you know what this is like. Grief grief can be messy, yeah? It can be messy. That's true in the best of relationships. How much more if your relationship is complicated like this one? Now, again, I say this as an observation, but hopefully it's an encouragement to you as well. You don't have to understand it. You don't, but you can move forward through it. 
And I know it's so hard to see or to believe in the moment, but friend, there is life, there is even joy past your grief. This is a hard moment for David. It's an incredibly hard moment for David, but this is the beginning of something for David. This is a point in his life where he steps into God's purpose for him. And so I would urge you, don't stop the story at sadness. Don't close the book there. Hold on to hope. There's more. There's more for you. That leads into our next takeaway, which is a step that we can take, something we can do, and it's this. Make space for sadness. Make space for it. My lovely wife recently asked me if we're going to cover any pleasant emotions in this series, or if we're just doing the hard ones. Um, In a separate conversation, she wondered aloud what the male version of a Debbie Downer is. Thanks for that, dear. Now, I, I told her my answer was, I don't know. I don't, I don't have this all mapped out yet. Right? I'm, I'm just trying to, to follow the Spirit's lead where, where he's, he's guiding us in this. But truth be told, I don't think it's the happy emotions that we have a hard time with, is it? For the most part, I think we know how to handle that. We know what to do with that. It's the stuff like sadness that we struggle with. This is what's hard for us. I, I don't want to feel that way. God, I I don't want to have all the feels. I'd rather just have a select few. Is that okay? But church, I don't don't want us to frame this as as good versus bad emotions. Okay, as as if we should feel that, but we shouldn't feel this. Sad isn't bad. It's not. It's normal. It's even healthy to feel this way sometimes. Because in a fallen world, loss is the other side of love. Loss is the other side of love, right? You don't mourn for stuff that doesn't matter to you. So sadness, this is an extension. It's an expression of our affection. The greater the love, the greater the sense of loss. The the greater the role something plays in your life, the, the bigger the hole it leaves when it's gone. And it may seem counterintuitive for us to say this, but hurting is a necessary part of the healing. Because that is how love comes to term with loss. And in that sense, grief is good. It doesn't feel good, but it's good. Now, this is for all of us, but I think I think it's an especially Relevant reminder for the guys. Hey, gents, I want to talk to you just for a minute. Ladies, you can listen in too. Don't, don't tune out. A, a friend of mine had hanging up in his office a, friend, a, a picture, rather, of Rooster Cogburn. Do you know who that is? Rooster Cogburn was the hero of the movie True Grit, played by John Wayne. Okay? And its caption reads... Chuck Norris, never heard of her, right? If you've ever seen a John Wayne movie, you'll understand. If you haven't seen that movie, that's your homework for the week. Not the remake, watch the original with John Wayne in it. 
Okay, but, but I, I tell you that because I think that is our traditional cultural concept of masculinity. Right? It is the, the rugged, tough as nails, individualist, indomitable man. That's the peak, right guys? And it resonates with the masculine soul. And I think it should resonate with us. I do. But I think there's also a danger here. That with that, we buy this lie that we always have to keep a stiff upper lip. That emotions emasculate. Right? Feelings, those are for females. Guys, we don't do feelings. That to, to show or even acknowledge any sort of sorrow or sadness is to be soft. Now, guys, I'm not suggesting. I'm not suggesting that we have sleepovers and do each other's hair and talk about our feelings. Okay, just to be clear on that. If any of you guys send me a text and say, "Hey, I'm having a sleepover," I'm out, guys. I'm not coming. Okay. But but in the same breath, strong is not the same thing as stoic. It's not. We're, we're reflections of God. We're not robots. Okay, look, look at who we're talking about here. David is a man's man. He's a dude. He's a virile, red-blooded, presumably meat-eating guy who gets in fights and wins. And what does he do when he experiences loss? He laments. David writes and sings a sad song. And he teaches it to other people to sing too. David expresses his emotions openly. He's not less of a man for that. Guys, I feel like it needs to be said that our masculinity need not be so fragile. God created us to be men, and men we should be. We should embrace that. We should celebrate that. We should not apologize for that. But we need to understand God's conception of masculinity and use that as our reference point instead of inaccurate cultural constructs. Let's make room. Make room for sadness, for the other feels. Here's another one. When you're dealing with grief, be fair to yourself. In coming to terms with loss, we try to explain what happened. We try to make it make sense. There's a real smart gal who mapped out stages of grief, Dr. Elizabeth Kubler-Ross, and she called this process bargaining. When we're experiencing grief or mourning, we bargain. Sometimes bargaining looks like blaming. Okay, try this on for size. See if this sounds familiar. Had I done that, had I not done that, then things might have been different. Have you ever done that? 
And what happens with that is we can take on responsibility for things that we might not have any control over. Consider David. I want to show you this. Did you know that David was scheduled to be at the fight where Saul and Jonathan died? He was supposed to be there, but he wasn't. 1 Samuel chapter 29, David is once again in Philistine territory. He's on the run from Saul. He, he goes to the king of Gath, a guy named Achish, and he asks for asylum from Saul. Now, just by the way, this is the same guy that he went to before one other time asking for asylum, but that time he pretended to be insane so he wouldn't be seen as a threat. And I'd really like to know how the second conversation went. What are you? So, uh, hey, about that last time, just kidding. David leads Achish to believe that, that he has defected from Israel, that his loyalties have changed. And now Achish wants to cement David's new loyalties by pitting him against Saul and the Israelites. You're going to go into battle with me and you're going to fight these guys and you're going to prove your loyalties, David. The other Philistine commanders are not so keen on that idea. They suspect David. They're suspicious of him. And they say that can't happen because in the heat of battle, he will turn and turn the battle against us. So you can't come. And David is forced to stay behind. Now, again, this is purely speculative on my part. But do you think it's possible that in the aftermath of Israel's defeat, David is asking the question, what if I had been there? Could I have saved my friend? Could I have intervened? Could I have done something so that Saul and Jonathan would still be alive? And if they were, would Saul finally see my true colors and make peace with me? Church, these are the sort of impossible questions and hypothetical scenarios that can haunt us in our losses, aren't they? What if I'd done that differently? The what ifs, the, the could have, the should have. But, but listen, David, if he did entertain such thoughts, and we can't know if he did or not, but I find no evidence that he blames himself for this. It's not there. Ultimately, David realizes that the fate of Saul, the fate of Jonathan, even his own fate, rests squarely in God's hands. And we need to learn from that, church. Now, this is not to say that we shouldn't evaluate our role. We shouldn't accept ownership where it's due. We shouldn't learn from it. What I am saying is that so often, so many of the factors that play out are out of our hands and out of our control. And we can't blame ourselves for those things. We, we can't bear the burden of that. We have to remember that God is God and we are not. So be fair to yourself. Last one here. When you're dealing with grief, take time. Take time. 2 Samuel chapter 2, verse 1. In the course of time, David inquired of the Lord, Shall I go up to one of the towns of Judah? He asked. The Lord said, go up. David asked, where shall I go? 
To Hebron, the Lord replied. It has been said by many wise voices before me that you should not make major decisions in the wake of loss. And I think that's, that's very good advice. Sorrow colors how we see our circumstances. And in the moment, our, our perspective is not always accurate. Being overloaded by, by feelings can, can cause us to, to overlook things. We may be inclined to, to do things we ordinarily would not. And in many cases, the decisions that we are contemplating can wait. It doesn't have to be made right now. So, so we need to not rush. We don't hurry our, our heart. Notice how David takes time in the course of time. You need to understand that the transition from the book of 1 Samuel to the book of 2 Samuel is the transition from Saul's reign as king to David's reign as king. This is a monumental shift. This is a very big deal that's happening. And yet the entire first chapter of 2 Samuel is devoted to David processing his grief. And he, just, he just stays with it for a while. Eventually the time does come for him to step into a new pattern. But he doesn't rush it, and that's significant. Bear in mind how long David has been waiting to become king. It has been years since God promised him the throne. And, and, and if this is me, if I'm in this place, and, and I've been running, I've been, been a refugee for, for how many years, I'm inclined at this point to say, finally, and take the throne, take the crown without delay. Wisdom dictates otherwise. Wisdom says, wait a while. Don't rush it, David. You, you need to pause. You need a process here. Because all too often, rushing leads to regret, doesn't it? You ever rush something and live to regret it? Should have taken my time. That is doubly true in a season of, of grieving. We need to take time. Now, now, while we're here, I would add this. Just as important as, as when David proceeds is how David proceeds. It says that he inquires of God. Before he makes a move, before he does anything, even though he knows God has already promised that he's going to be king, David doesn't move without asking God first. I've never been here before. This is all new territory for me. Isn't, isn't that how grief goes? My life was this, but now I'm in a new season, and, and, and this isn't familiar to me. God, I think I have an idea of what I'm supposed to do and where I'm supposed to go, but, but I, I don't, I don't want to step outside of your plan. So I need you to direct me. I need you to show me what I need to do. And God does. Friend, that is a prayer that God loves to answer and honor. Lead me. Show me what's next. Friend, as you go through grief, be sure, be sure to include God. 
Seek his guidance as you move into what comes next. He'll give it to you. He'll give it to you. Good grief. In a world that's less than perfect, all of us experience loss. All of us experience the grief that comes with it. But by God's grace, good can come of it too. It can. Don't stop the story at sadness, friend. Don't close the book there. Hold on to hope. I assure you there's more.